0: You are listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud, conversations about trauma and healing from two women who are doing the work. My name is Jeremiah Jones, and I am the producer of this podcast. In today's episode, Candace and Cher revisit elements of Cher's story from episode six to give our listeners a better understanding of what it means to be fragmented during trauma. You will also hear Candace and Cher talk about what story work is and why sharing our stories matter.
1: Here.
0: Hey, Candace.
1: Good to see you. Good to see you too. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm excited about our topic today, just to give our listeners more insight and information about a few of the elements that we talked about last week, because last week you shared one of your stories of severe harm. I'm kind of curious how you're feeling and doing after sharing that story publicly for the first time. Yes. Thank you for asking. I have
2: been processing out loud and in, in quiet, mm-hmm. um, giving a lot of care to my my body and my heart and my mind because putting it out into a public place is definitely very impacting for me. As I said last week, I haven't shared any of my stories publicly. And so, yes, it felt like a big step. I have found myself really going into my story, even in some new ways. I I actually sketched a picture of the scene, something I've never done before, and put a visual to that scene that I think was helpful for me in, in a lot of ways. And so telling my story last week and even knowing that it was going public, I think there's actually some freedom here for me Mm
0: -hmm. in ways
2: where my voice has been silenced all these years and to take that big step and say, my voice matters. This story matters. And I'm courageously putting it out there in a, in a bigger way. I don't know. I, I feel really, I, I can say, I feel like Something has been released. I feel more
1: freedom as a result. Mm, I love that. We talked about last week how we're not talking about showing up and sharing your stories of harm publicly. Not that someone might not do that someday, but I'm aware that we have listeners who have stories that have never seen the light of day. And that story sat with an individual and then a small group of safe people who knew how to care for you before you ever decided to share it publicly. And if, even if you would have never decided to share it publicly, the healing was already happening. Yes, absolutely. Well, I've thought about you a lot. And Of course, we've had some follow-up conversations because there's aftercare when we share stories. You sent me that sketch that you drew and when it popped up on my phone, I just want to tell you it took my breath away and it gave me a better sense of what it was like for that little girl in that story that experienced severe abuse. And so today we want to look at a few of the elements that were mentioned in your story and then go into a little bit about what does it mean to write a story? So do you want to share a little bit more about, I think we mentioned, you know, you feeling like you were fragmented into a million pieces. Do you want to share a little bit about that?
2: Yes. The aftercare it's like, it's, it's so important. And I, I just want to make that point. Like as we, as we talked last week and even in the recording, there were, or no, I think it was after I read the story and you mentioned a couple of times that there were some things we wanted to, to talk further about. And yeah, that feeling that I had in that moment in time that i felt like i was fragmenting into a million little pieces and just fading away. And i think this fragmentation, it's a real thing. It's fragmentation, dissociation. These are things that our brain actually does to protect us when our brain perceives that we are in a situation of severe harm, life and death where Our brain literally shuts down other aspects of our body and we go into that trauma or that stress response of fight or flight. And if we can't fight and if we can't flee, we will freeze. And sometimes even beyond that, or maybe a different way that freeze looks is moving where where we actually become disconnected from our, our. our sense of ourself disconnected from our body, where we're outside of our body watching what is happening. And I don't know how to explain how that happens, mm-hmm. but I do know that it's a survival technique. It's probably part of why I survived that severe beating that, that, that happened that day.
1: Yeah, that just kind of introduces it. Help me go a little further. No, I think you explained it well. It's, it, and it's not just your story. Once you begin listening to other people's story, you're like, oh, that's a real thing. This happens to many people who have found themselves in situations where actually to fight would have brought on more harm. They couldn't flee. And so part of that brain fragmented, you know, the, and we've talked a little about just the prefrontal cortex where we just can't figure things out anymore like there's no figuring it out. And so it, it's an experience to where however long that episode lasts, you're, you're outside of yourself for survival. And how
2: then if you receive care, if somebody calls 911 and (laughs) the ambulance comes and, the, the wounds are tended to and head injuries receive, you know, all of the things that should happen in a situation of trauma. But when no care is offered, and the body has to just figure out the body and brain has to figure out how to survive on its own alone as a child. Yeah, we're created with this ability to survive. Mm-hmm. And even in situations that are dire, where we can't, as you said, we can't fight, we can't flee.
1: Mm -hmm. And so trauma isn't only happening to our bodies, it is. But then the messages that are received when there is no care and it's repeated brings about, it doesn't matter. I don't matter. This is just part of my life and normal you've used this word and it really does describe you become more and more diminished. You're who you are. Yes.
2: And I think that's where that whole fragmentation aspect comes in and where we feel like we live on in that younger self or that those younger forms, maybe we have aspects that where we feel five years old or seven or eight or 15 or whatever, and we fragment and those Pieces live on in that state, and mm-hmm. then when something happens subconsciously and we're triggered, we literally function mm-hmm. internally out of that fragmented part of ourselves, rather than you know our adult thirty-five year old or you know fifty-five year old self. We're at some we're in some way functioning as that fragmented part that was never given care and
1: has not been able to heal. I was thinking this morning, as we were going into the follow-up of your story, the concept of having childlike faith, as we'll hear that at times, as opposed to being childish. And typically when we've seen someone in an adult body be childish We've judged and we've shamed, and we've, like, why don't they just grow up? Yeah. Instead of saying, hmm, I wonder what part of them is kind of stuck in a childish state, you know, for me today brings deep compassion.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: and I love that you're bringing
2: that up. And I think it's so true of pretty much everyone that I know deals with this. I mean, there might be some people walking the face of the earth who do not have unresolved childhood trauma, but honestly, I think most of us have elements of this. And so, yes, and yet we have lived under that shadow of judgment and and self-contempt too, not not just from others, but we judge these parts of ourselves harshly because they make us feel really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. They bring forward behaviors that we don't like. And so
1: we're hard on ourselves in these areas. I do have a quick story I wanna share that came up for me yesterday. I had never made the connection in all these years. And it's just a brief one, but I was probably seven or eight years old and we were at some friend's house. My parents would get together and play cards with other couples. And there was a group of us kids just playing. And there was an older girl that lived in the home. She was an older teenage girl. And we had this bright idea of pranking her. What that looked like is, is we would go knock on her door and then we would run. Okay. So that may not seem like a big deal, but one time we knocked on her door and she was standing right there. She opened the door grabbed my arm and slapped me across the face very hard. Okay. So here's the connection I made with that. There's lots of fun ways to do pranks, right? Kids like pranks, adults. I, ha- I have never gotten it. Like, I'm like, I feel stress when I think about pranks. And it was just the other day that I'm like, why don't I like pranks? Because sometimes I'll watch them and then they're hilarious. And all of a sudden I was like, because you can get the snot slapped out of you when you do a prank. And it just, you know, that wasn't a deep wound, but I was able to be curious about why, why is everybody around me think pranks are hilarious and they make me cringe. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I would love to, and and later I I want to process that with you. Like, Mm -hmm. did you go, can you remember, did you
1: go into fight or flight? this is very vulnerable, but Hey, we're processing trauma out loud. I peed my pants. Wow. And I, I, I went to talk to someone and I don't remember after that. Mm. don't remember. I just remember, I felt so humiliated that I had peed my pants. Yeah. And,
2: and it's more than humiliation, right? Like it was your body went into fight or flight. I'm not sure, probably flight. That feels like a flight response to me. Can you feel right now, like, what do you feel in your body as we are talking about this even right now, kind of for the first
1: time for you? I I feel pretty calm, but I haven't gone very deep in this story. (laughs) And I knew I shouldn't well, I should say, I shouldn't say I shouldn't, but of course, telling you a story, you're going to take me a little bit deeper. I want to, because, and and
2: we'll just say this for our listeners too, right? Because sometimes these stories come up and we pass by them quickly, mm-hmm. but that was a significant thing. Like here you are decades later, asking yourself the question and getting curious, hmm, why don't I like pranks? And boom, there's a, there's a memory that comes up. And when when that happens, I really believe it's always an invitation. We can walk toward it and bring some care and curiosity, or we can push it aside, minimize it and go on and find ourselves
1: still struggling with why people enjoy pranks and we don't. (laughs) I'm sure my kids would have thought I was more fun if I would have liked pranks. (laughs) Exactly.
2: And I think the bigger you know, obviously it's not about pranks, but it's about here's an area in your life where you haven't had freedom, where you haven't been able to experience joy and laughter and even silliness, right? Mm -hmm. Because something has been there that has prevented it. So actually, I love that example. And thank you for bringing that up. And yes, we will talk a little bit more later about
1: (laughs) about that. Let's go ahead and go into a little bit of what it means to write a story and how we began writing our stories, the invitation to do some excavating. Right. And yesterday or last week when I, when we
2: did the, when I read my story and I mentioned prior to reading it, that this is a story that I have written out. We have a method that we use that, that helps us approximately 600 to 800 words not less than that because if we go less we don't get into the nitty-gritty details that are important and also not more because we want to confine it to that moment almost in a way that those two or three moments when the harm actually happened we have several points that we really look at as we're writing our stories and we're we'll have a resource on our website which you can go to which is www processingtraumaoutloud.com and just find our free resources there and you will see a document that just helps you really think about what to consider as you are writing a story of harm. And so yes, we, we want to start with usually a story of harm that we're writing. We're going to start with And and in my, the story that I shared, I actually even called it my very good, very bad day. And that's kind of the kind of story that we're looking for. It's, it's when we're experiencing a moment like you in the story, even you just shared, you were having fun. You were being silly little kids. You were, you know, so we want to start in this place where we're experiencing peace of some kind or fun, or we feel joy. And then something happens that just shatters that where our brain and our body is caught off guard and has to go into a completely different space. So that's kind, that's kind of the story
1: that we're looking for. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that oftentimes we are in that place of experiencing peace, but it could also be a normal day. Right. And the the point of trauma is The nervous system gets activated at any point. And you've said this a few times, there's no aftercare. There's no, there's no help. There's no eyes and ears that can come in and, you know, bring comfort, bring help in, in real time. I know when I wrote, started writing my stories, I liked the idea of how that invitation was made and this was helpful for me do you have even a few things that often pop up in your mind maybe not every day maybe not every week maybe not every month just a couple times a year where you sense something and have elements of memory associated with that you know i had a i knew i had a few of those stories that i'm like okay i don't have all the details, but I have this sense of this is a story that has just kind of kept coming back in my mind, even though I had never talked about it or shared. So that, that was helpful for me that I didn't have to have, because we don't in trauma, we don't have these full memories. So it was helpful for me to just, I actually wrote down five different bits and then I was able to, to think more on those and get more clarity. Yes,
2: so important. And a lot of people do say, I can't remember. I, don't, I, know, I know something happened, but I don't even really remember. And as you said, that's the reality of trauma. Our, brain, our prefrontal cortex goes offline where we, we can't think it through. We don't see it. We don't carry it forward as a vivid memory, even though it is stored in our brain. And I think this is a good time to
1: mention that the healing of trauma isn't primarily that we would remember all the details of a story. It's more about working with our nervous system and knowing that we have resources today. But here's what knowing the story as much as we can does do for us. Besides just knowing how to calm our nervous system, it opens up deep, deep compassion for ourselves and others, that there is a reason why our nervous systems are often dysregulated. We can walk around and have all these resources and techniques to calm our nervous system and actually not be a very compassionate person.
2: And it's as we begin to look at our own stories of harm with compassion and self-love that Really opens us up to being able to be loving people toward others too. I want to just say, after we have been curious about it and we maybe visualize a, a, a picture of the scene, we also want to notice like, what are we feeling in our body as we do this work? And what did we feel in our body at that time? Sometimes this can be really hard to remember, but. Can you remember what you felt in that memory? Were you anxious? Were you sad? Did you cry? You know, what was going on in your body? And Candace, can you just put a couple of words around?
1: Why is it important to identify that? Well, I think it's almost always impossible to know what we felt then if we aren't paying attention to what we're feeling now. And when we say feel, we're not just talking about. I feel sad. I mean, that can come out of it. It's slowing down and noticing body sensations. So if I'm working with a client, I might say, what what are you feeling in your body right now? And I'll just use you for an example. Sometimes you feel a constricted throat and you have some stories about that. Before you could really go back and imagine how you felt then, you had to notice why am I feeling this way now? Yeah, exactly.
2: So for example, one of the things I feel a lot when I go back to my stories is I get pain in the back of my neck. In the past, I would get really frustrated with that, like, ah, I've got that neck pain again. And as I started to recognize how often I did feel that when I was connecting with stories of harm, I was able to start becoming really kind with that and really tender about that. I would just bring tenderness to my body and I would do specific things that really brought care to my body, like rub oils in or take a hot bath or lay down for a little while. Just something that would bring tenderness where in the past I had brought harshness or judgment
1: or impatience. Yeah, And also there's just times we need to schedule a massage, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. For sure. That's like a lifeline for me. Yeah. So this aspect of just being kind with your body is such an important part as you move toward identifying these stories of harm, bringing up and inviting these memories to come up that you have probably held down for a long time. Like kindness and self-compassion are so important. The brain will not, your brain will not allow these memories to come up if you cannot approach with some new levels of kindness toward Mm -hmm. your own self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And safety. Yep. Yeah. Keeping going back to the forest, right? We have to see we have to soothe and we have to give our body a sense of, yeah, it wasn't safe back then. But right now, as I am remembering these things, as I'm, and this is the next point, as I'm saying things or writing things that have never been said or written before, we can feel a lot of dysregulation when we start to do that kind of work of naming the harm, naming the that that here's this person that I have been loyal to. And here's maybe this parent that I have protected all through the years. And now here I am for the first time saying They did something that was so hurtful to Mm -hmm. me, Mm -hmm. super hard and super important.
0: Yeah.
2: I want to just say to our listeners, as we wind things down here, that this is, this is the work, we call it story work (laughs) and it's work, it's hard work, but it's good work and it's important work. As we've said many times, like it's important who you tell your story to once you write it, or even as you're working on it, search for, look for, pray for, pay for whatever it takes, a person who can be with you in that place and who will really sit with you there and who has the capacity to hold this story with you and even for you Mm -hmm. when it's tough for you to do it on your own. Yeah. We just want to say like, this is good and this is hard and this is important. I agree. Share. So good to be with you today. You too, Candice. Thank you again. I'll say it again. Thanks for doing the work so mm-hmm. that you can be with me in my stories and, and that you're able to open up so I can be with you in your stories too. Yes. Such a blessing. Love you. Yeah. Love you too, friend.
0: Thank you for listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to suggested resources and social media. Like, subscribe, and follow to keep up with our weekly content. And if you don't mind, take a moment to rate and review us. Your feedback is extremely valuable and contributes to the success of this podcast. Music was created by Caleb Paxton and our sound engineer is Jeremiah Jones of Autostory LLC. We welcome you to join us for more conversations soon. Take care.